First uh, Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to read the first five verses, and I want to ask if you're able to to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's word. As you're standing, and before I read, just briefly, Paul has been talking about this um, message of the cross, this gospel that we preach. He says that we have one message. That's the message of the cross. We are one people, people of the cross. And now he, was, he talks about the fact that he is a preacher of the cross. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want you to pray with me, please, Lord. Please bless the reading of your word. Help me as I stand here before your people. These are people you died for. These are people you love. These are people that you have spent eternity past bringing them to this point today to hear the truth of your gospel. Lord, please do not let me get in the way of that. Please use me as you see fit. Lord, please do not allow distractions to get them to be thinking about all the other things that help them instead to hear your word speaking to them. Help us, Lord to grab a hold of your power and allow you to work as you speak to We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only power that we've got. It's the power that we have to unify this church. It's the power that we have to reconcile families. There may be husbands and wives that are on the breaking point or beyond the breaking point. That's only going to be coming together. It's only going to be repaired because of the gospel. There are friends who may not have talked to each other in a long time because they got some beef with each other. The only way that's going to be reconciled is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that there are wounds in this auditorium, in this sanctuary this morning. There are wounds that we can't see that you're not going to talk about. You don't want us to know about them. It's none of our business, and I understand that. I'm not asking you to share them, but those wounds that nobody can see that are as real as they can be, those wounds cannot be healed by anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, he says that the gospel is that thing that saves us. We have no hope beyond this life. In fact, he'll say later on in this same book, that we will be men most miserable if it's not for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses one, chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, he says that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives voice to those who have no voice, power to those who have no power. We tried. We'll leave it to the Lord to decide if we were successful or not, but we tried in the last what, 20, 30 minutes? Praise the Lord in this sanctuary. I hope you did the best you could. I know that this praise team did. I know the choir did. I know they did. 
But if there is any praise to be had, if there is any actual lifting up of the name of Jesus, it's only possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I'm trying to get you to see that we have one message. We have a message called the message of the cross. We have one thing to do. We'll talk about we have one thing that changes things, and we must preach that message. We must believe that message, and we must apply that message to every aspect of our lives. If there's drugs and alcohol abuse, whether in our own church community or in our larger community, and I guarantee it's there. If there are addictions, those things are only going to be broken by the gospel of Jesus. If there's infidelity, sexual abuse, pornography, poverty, joblessness, and I could go on, and you could probably think of all kinds of things that people have problems with, that is only going to be fixed. It's only going to be solved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How in the world can we actually help people out there and people in here who have real problems? How can we ensure a future for our children? How can we ensure eternity for our children? How can these things happen? How can we address what ails our world? We have one answer, and it is the gospel. Now, please understand me. I want to make sure, go, before I go any further, uh, sometimes I get so caught up in what I prepared to say that I don't, I, I think it may fly over what you're, what you're hearing, me, hearing me here. I want you to hear me. I'm not just talking about somebody standing in a pulpit and preaching Jesus' faith. We need that. I'm not just talking about it. We are doing going into the schools and telling children that Jesus loves them. We're doing that, and that should continue. That's not what I'm just talking about that. I think sometimes we get to preach the gospel and be quiet. No, 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 no. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something we need to believe and we need to apply. It needs to show up, Christian, in your life, in the way that you do things, in the way that you operate, the way you live, the way you talk to people, the way you do business. It needs to show up in every aspect of our lives. Otherwise, it is just empty preaching up here. If I'm just saying words and you're saying, good, keep going because we like the way you sound, then it's pointless, it's fruitless, it's useless. It's got to permeate your life and your heart. Because as Paul says, I want you to focus your attention on verse 5. He says, that if your faith, if your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. He's not saying just that he's preaching a certain way. He is saying, I'm preaching a certain way. He's talking about that. We'll talk about that. But he's saying here, I want your, the result of that for your faith not to stand in men's wisdom. You know what men's wisdom looks like? It's what you all see every day when you go to work, when you go to school, when, when you watch television, when you come to your home, when you talk to your neighbors and your friends, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to the grocery store. That's all the wisdom of men. And my faith has got to be in something bigger than what I can see. He says, I don't want your faith to be in that, but I want it to be in the power of God. I want it to be in the power of God. So if we are people who want to have our children and our families and our neighborhood and our church and our community. We want those things to stand, to be established, to be grounded, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. This passage gives us four things, and Paul models those four things for us. I want you to see these four things that we absolutely must do. Let me give you number one. We must first declare the testimony of God. He says this in verse 1. He says that, brethren, when I came unto you, talking to the church at Corinth, he says, when I came, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Now, I want you to understand something about Paul. Paul's perfectly capable of giving a good speech. 
he was probably in his day at least among the most educated and well-trained men that was ever really at that time. He was among those people. He learned at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, who was a revered and very learned rabbi of that time. So he knew the Bible. He knew he knew the, the Jewish history. He had as well, if you go to Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how he had what would be considered in that day, and if we were to translate it into equivalent today, to be considered an enviable pedigree. He was somebody who knew some things, had been some places, understood some stuff, and people said, Paul's got it together. He's a good guy. He knows what he's doing. And if none of that convinces you, look at your Bible, go all the way to the book of Matthew, and hold what's, in the, what's between Matthew and the end of your Bible, and hold it together, and both pages in there, the majority of it, probably a little bit, about half of it, I guess, something like that, Paul had a hand in. Either it's about him, or he wrote it under the inspiration of the, God, of, the, of the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to get you to see is God used this man. God used this man. In fact, in another place, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I, I, I had revelation from God. God told me some stuff. And it kind of puffed him up with pride. But the point is that God thinks, or rather, God used this man. But what he says when he goes into Corinth, even though he had all of that coming behind him, even though he had everything behind him, he comes and he says, I'm not going to focus on that when I come into Corinth. He doesn't use, he says, their excellency of speech. He's not using eloquent speech. He's not using wisdom. He's not using high-class, uh, educated logic to help impress these people about how smart he is. He didn't want his ministry to be about that. Instead, what is he doing? He says, I, I come declaring unto you the testimony of God. First thing is, he's declaring. He is speaking very loudly and widely making it known. He wants people to know that this message I'm about to share with you is what I want to be known about. He could have been known about anything, but he's declaring this message. And what is that message? It is the testimony of God. Another way you might say this, if I were writing this sentence, I know I'm not writing this sentence, but to help you explain it, I might say that this is God's testimony. Can I say it to you another way? Paul didn't come up with this message. This is not invented by Paul. Paul is taking what God came up with, and he's saying, this is God's witness. God came up with this, and I'm just sharing it with everybody that I can. Paul was smart enough to come up with his own message. Let me just tell you, he knew what he could do. He could come up with something, but he didn't come up with his own message. He took God's message and he shared it with people because he wanted, as he says in verse 5, that faith to be established not in Paul, not in how good of a message Paul can put together, but in God's power. That's where he wanted the faith to be established. Are you going to be known for declaring God's message? Or do you feel like you need to add your own emphasis, your own flair, your own stuff to what God has? I know we all like our opinions, don't we? If you don't say amen and you have Facebook, go ahead. Just go ahead and just let me tell you, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We like our opinions, but you know what? This world does not need your opinion. This world does not need, does not, does not, it's not going to change anybody's life who you voted for, what you think about a vaccine, 
what you think about the gas prices. Sorry, Chad, I hate the gas prices too. It doesn't matter what you think about those things. It really doesn't. Do you know what this world needs? They need God's truth. This world doesn't need another sales pitch. Some of y'all can convince as they said, what's, what's the phrase? Sell uh, 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 a freezer to Eskimos or something like that. I mean, some of y'all can sell anything to anybody, you know? I know how, I know how some of y'all are good at doing that. You're slick. You know how to, you know how to, you know how to put the right message and run in front of the right people. And, and I'm not faulting you for it. I'm, I wish I was better at doing that. But the point is, this world doesn't need a sales pitch. They don't need to be convinced and tricked into uh, accepting Jesus. They need the Word of God to work in their heart and in their life, they need the power of God, not the power of your sales pitch. They don't need your style. We all got one, don't we? Some of them are better than others, but we all got them. They don't need my style. They don't need my way of doing it, my traditions. They don't need those things. They need the gospel of God. God's gospel. That's what they need. They don't get me wrong, eloquence and creativity and methodology and tactics and tools, all these things are, they can be helpful. But what we do as Christians, we confuse those things, those opinions that we have, our traditions that we have, those things that we hold on to, we confuse those things with what our church and our family and our neighbors need. That's not what they need. They need God's truth and God's truth alone. That's what they need. So we need to model whatever Paul's doing here, which is he didn't come in with all the stuff that he could have come in with. He said, I'm just going to leave that baggage off to the side, and I'm just going to give them the truth of God. And God will be the one who changes them. So we first need to declare the testimony of God, but we also need to then, number two, we need to value knowledge of God. I want you to see from verse two. He says, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The best way to interpret that, the way that's written there, is simply that Paul's not coming in picking a side. He's not making a name for himself. He's not trying to cause any one thing or another. He's just got one thing on his mind. Uh, Paul's not coming in. He's not. He's not deciding. He's not on the pro-Apollos camp. Remember back in chapter one, I think it's in verse twelve. He's like, you heard familiar with Apollos and some of Paul. He says, "I'm not coming in trying to be pro-Apollos. I'm not trying to be anti-Peter or Cephas. I'm not trying to do those things." He didn't come in, even though he does address in chapters 12 to 14, he addresses the fact that this church, if they were to exist in 2021 today, we would call them a charismatic church. Because they were all about the spiritual gifts. And they were doing all kinds of speaking in tongues and all sorts of things. That's what they were focused on. Even though he does address it, even though that might have been kind of a, a, a neat little thing to start with, to kind of bash him over the head, y'all are doing it all wrong. He doesn't start there. He doesn't start there. He does address it, but he does it later. He doesn't even address something that might have been a little bit exciting, might have been a little interesting for people to listen to. They, they really had some immorality going on in this church. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, he deals with some of their sexual sins in this church. And he doesn't start out there. He doesn't bemoan the emperor for his overreach. He doesn't blast the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. What does he do? He says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yes, he does deal with a lot of issues in this book, but he does so only after he has started at the foundation, at the base, 
And what is that base? The powerful message of the cross. Because without the power of God, nothing's going to change. I, I want y'all to understand this. I, 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 take what the Bible just said. I believe what the Bible said. And I want you to understand, I think it has application to you right now. Ellisboro Baptist Church. You want to move forward as a church. You've got glorious possible days ahead if the Lord, Lord wills. I think some of you, I don't know if there's agreement on this, but I think that some of you think that this or that and the other thing needs to change. Some of you might think this, that, and the other thing needs to stay the same, whatever your opinion is. But did you know that none of that's possible if the power of God doesn't intervene? What I'm trying to get you to see is we could sit here and we could fuss and we could fight and we could harp and we could holler on all sorts of things. And we may have done it. But until and unless we get to the base of it, which is, do we really know and value knowing who Jesus is? Do we value, as he says there, Jesus Christ and Him crucified? That is the basis for any change. That is the basis for any building that we're going to build. Anything that's going to build on top of that. That's the basis. If we don't have that foundation laid and firmly laid in every person who is part of this community, if that's not there, you can just hang it up. And it will be, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, just a den of vipers. But if God is in the middle of that, and the foundation is Jesus and Him crucified, and we grow from that foundation, oh my goodness, what will the Lord Jesus Christ do here on this spot, right here, and radiate out for generations to even talk about and write books about and all that because of being founded on the foundation of the cross. I want you to understand that people really don't need change. And you say, well, Matthew, I completely disagree. I can think of this one, my wife and my husband and my kids. They need to change all these things. I want you to understand what I'm saying here. They don't need change primarily. They need to know Jesus. And Jesus will make the change. Let me explain it this way. I think we can focus so much on stopping certain sins or maybe ignoring certain sins. But the, the stopping certain sins and ignoring those sins doesn't get anybody to heaven. Let, let me give you, I think, hopefully a very clear example. Something that a lot of conservative Orthodox Christians would tend to hold as, as, as a sin is homosexuality. We would say that's a sin and it's something that is, is wrong and important against the Scripture. But I can tell you right now, and with no, no, no shame in my, in my face, I will tell you, that the homosexual does not need to change his behavior to go to heaven. He can stop doing it all day long. He can never do that again. He can never be part of that. He can change his life completely, and he's still going to hell when he dies. The drug abuser could never take another drop, another, 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 another pill, another injection, another, another bit of uh, smoke or any of that. He could, never, he could never do it again. But he's still going to hell. The liar could stop lying. The thief could stop stealing. But hell is still his home. Because he doesn't need to change his behavior. He needs to know Jesus. He needs to know who he is. 
He needs to know what He's done. He needs to embrace Him. And when you know when you let Jesus in, when you let Jesus into your life, you know what happens then? He changes you. He makes you different. He does do those things. But what you need first is not to change. You need to know Jesus and let Him make the change in your heart. Stopping or ignoring sin is not going to keep our youth in this church. I know that is a very important thing to this congregation. I think it's right to have that as a priority. Appreciate those, Edward, being, being the representative here today. But there's other, and, and Crystal, there are others of you that are involved in this. I appreciate that work. But I need you to know that the indifference of our youth, if we could change them and make them excited, that's not going to get them to heaven. That's not going to even keep them in this church. Not really. Maybe even there, the, the, the pull of the world, and it's strong in our young people. If we, could, if we could somehow maybe quit, quit getting them pulled into the world, maybe we could pull them into church with excitement and all these things. I want you to know that that is not going to keep them. When they have a foundation on knowing who Jesus is, knowing Christ, and knowing Him crucified, that's what's going to make a difference. And I bet you, I bet you, I could get testimonies right now of people who are no longer youth. He said, I'm here, not because of a program, not because there was somebody that got me excited, but I, because I met Jesus one day. And when I met Jesus, He made all the change. I guarantee you there are people in here that testify to that. Church, we could stop our gossiping, we could stop our dissension, we could stop our backbiting, we could stop our fighting for preeminence in our church, but it will not bring unity. What's unity? Where is it based on? based on making Christ, being Christ, valuing Christ, and Him crucified. He makes the change in our heart. Let Him be the one. Shaming or nagging people, or giving them positive affirmations, none of that stuff is going to change people's minds. It's just not. It's not. They need to know Jesus. They need to know Him. Third verse, won't you? Won't you? Maybe you're thinking just verse 3. Stay there in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Third thing that we need to have is we need to have the fear of God. Paul comes in, he says, with weakness and fear and trembling. That's what he says in that verse. He, he comes in as somebody who's unsure of himself, untested and untried. He reminds me of myself when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was. And I still am kind of shy, a little introverted, but I was super shy, just painfully shy, very introverted, to the point where my daddy, my daddy's kind of, he's kind of, he's kind of a bully like this. I, I love him, but he's kind of, he kind of, he kind of pushes me a little bit on some stuff. And he was like, "Boy, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get out there and talk to some people." So he'd make me, and it would kill me. It would kill me. I remember that we, we were in Belgium at the time. If you know anything about Belgium, you probably know two things about Belgium. That's beer and French fries. We didn't do beer because we're bad guys. We're not supposed to do beer, you understand? Uh, but we, we did do French fries, these palm, palm fritz. And they would go up to the, 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 the French fry stand, and my daddy would make me order my own French fries. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal. I know that feels like nothing to y'all. But I was just shaking and didn't want to do it, couldn't. I, I just felt awful. I was just, and then quarter of French fries not that hard, but I felt terrible about it. I just didn't, I wasn't having, didn't have any confidence. And that's fine, I guess, for a shy little kid to be like that as far as we're concerned. 
But, but here's Paul standing in front of a congregation, entering into a city to try to evangelize, and this is how he's doing it, shaking and fearful. Well, that sounds like it's, uh, that's not a lot of confidence in these things right there. But I want you to understand that the reason he's doing this has nothing to do with the fact that he's shy or he's backwards. It's not because he's never been in this situation. Paul knew how to do public speaking. You go to the book of Acts, he does it many, many times. He has no problem with it. That's not the problem. The problem is not any of those things. The problem is he's not afraid of the city. He's not nervous before people, but he is afraid of undermining the gospel. In chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, God's called me to do this thing, preach the gospel, and I don't want to do something that brings it to nothing. I don't want to undermine the gospel. He doesn't want, he's afraid that his human effort is going to get in the way of the divine the divine initiative. He's afraid of that. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, he says, listen, I don't want your faith to stand in my wisdom. I want it to be in the power of God. He's afraid of standing before men and pleasing men rather than pleasing God. He's afraid that he'd get the gospel wrong. He's afraid that he would do it with the wrong motive. He's afraid that his personality and his personal tactics, and we all have them, would destroy Because he believes that the only message, only the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, would be the power that this church and this community needed to save, to sanctify, to transform, to heal, to correct, to unify them. Nothing else would help them. In fact, those other things not only would not help, but would actually cause harm. So he's standing there genuinely shaking. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to get this wrong because if they see me and they like me and they follow me, they won't follow the one who can help them. He was actually fearful of that. Let me ask you people, as you're listening to what I'm saying, where does your fear really lie? Are you really more worried like I am? And I'll just stand here and confess, I'm often more worried about what you think of me than what God thinks of me. me. Are you really more worried about what people think of you? Are you more focused on getting people to like you? Are you more interested in winning friends or getting that job or getting that promotion or that reputation in your community? Are you more interested in leaving a legacy behind that people can say, well, so-and-so is a good man or a good woman or lived a good life? Is that more important to you? We need a real revival of real fear of God in the church. We need to have Christian people who... are physically incapable of doing what they do because they say, I don't even know if I can do it wrong if God does it for me. We need to get to the place where we're so afraid to do it wrong or say it wrong. Nervous to the point of thinking. Too much in church activity that's flippant. Uh, they, they call it boldness, but it's not boldness. It's just flippant carelessness. To give you an example of what I'm talking about this morning, I, I tend to do this on Sunday morning, so I'll walk around just be thinking about the message, what I'm going to do. And I walk over there to the parsonage, and kind of around behind the parsonage, and I'm walking around that circular drive around the back of the parsonage. And I got on the 
facing it, the left side, so on the other side over there, walking up to the road. And there was a dog in the neighbor's yard. And he's got his head poked around the fence, and he just started to growl all right. He's, he's scared. He's, yeah, he's, he's going to get it. And I admit, I go, ooh, where did that come from? I go, oh, that's, ooh, that's a little unexpected. And then I noticed something. He had a chain coming around his neck. He ain't going to bother me. I could sit there and I could make faces. I mean, I didn't. Don't worry. But I could make faces at him. I could jump at him. I could do anything I wanted. I didn't do any of that. Don't get me wrong. But I could have done any of those things. Do you know what that dog could have done? What they call jack squat. He couldn't do nothing. He just sat there and looked at me. Unfortunately, that's the way we view the Lord. That he is a chain dog. Growling. A little fear in our hearts. Oh, he doesn't need my dog. But we're not worried. We're not concerned. But what we're handling is the most powerful thing in the universe. And that is God's power through the cross. And he has allowed us to be its messenger. I think we ought to straighten up a little bit and act like it matters. If we want to see God work, if we want to see the power of God, we want to see our families and our communities standing, established, not in our fear, but in the power, or rather, not in our power, but in the power of God. I think we might need to have a little fear of God in us. And say, I want to get this right, and I want to please Him. Lastly, and I'm getting close to my time, so I need to hurry along. I want you to see this in verse, verse 4. He says there, I didn't use enticing words of man's wisdom. The Corinthian church was used to, they had these expectations of high emotions and entertainment, kind of an entertainment-led culture. There were lots of Lots of things going on that we might call worldly and sinful, but uh, let's be honest with it, it was just stuff that everybody was participating in. They enjoyed it, they liked it, they watched it, and they were influenced by it. They, they expected to feel good. They expected to have lots of feelings, lots of emotions, maybe even a few tears. All because of a stage performance. People who had practiced and got the right words on the right stage at the right time. Kind of put me in the mind of, as I was thinking about it, put me in the mind of um, these reality TV shows. You know? People sitting there watching the television. It's not even it's not even a real story. It's just some people who are play acting and doing what people tell them to do. And we're sitting there just a week and he didn't give her the rose. <laughs> Y'all tell it on yourself now. <laughs> But I don't, you know what I'm talking about? Or, oh my goodness, I can't believe she said that about him. And it's people you don't even know, you'll never meet. And you're so mad about them, or so happy about them, or so tearful about them. That's exactly the way these people were. They, they expected that in the church. They expected that because they were used to going to places, being entertained by people who knew, who knew how to, as we say, push their buttons. Want some tears? Do this combination, tears. This combination, oh, they'll laugh. This combination, oh, they'll be sad. They'll be mad. Whatever. They, they were used to this. That's what they were used to. And Paul says, listen, I've come in, and when I preach, I want you to not be hearing my enticing words. 
But I want you to see, as he says there, the last phrase, in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. When Paul preached, God moved. It wasn't Paul saying, let me do a little of this and a little of that, a dash of this, and boom, revival. That's not how that works. He got up there and he preached, he shared, he, as he said, the declared, the testimony of God. And it wasn't because of his logic, it wasn't because of his words, it wasn't because of his style, it was only because God chose to use it. That foolish and weak and useless man preaching a foolish and useless and weak message that God so bravely and brilliantly and amazingly comes in and shows a demonstration of His power. And this is evident not just in the few minutes that they're together, not just in the moment when He's pushing the right buttons, but it's actually evident in real lives. Y'all know this as well as I do, especially if you've been to church any amount of time. I've been in church most of my life. I can tell you, answer an altar call, I can't order French fries, but I sure can come down to an altar call. Ain't no big deal. I can answer an altar call. Good gracious. In fact, you might even get praised for doing it. Depends on what kind of setting you're in. I, I, think I've been, I, I know that it's easy to make a decision when the preacher or the singing kind of manipulates your emotions together. I understand that. But when God really works, and some of y'all, uh, y'all know this. Uh, think about it yourself. You know some testimonies of this. When God really makes a change in a man or woman's life, it's evident. He acts different. He talks different. He acts like a different person. Her heart is different. The mouth is different. It wasn't just that they stood up in a service or waved their hands a little bit or came down to an altar and weep. It was that, that, that might have been part of it. Nothing wrong with those things. But that might have been part of it. That wasn't the end of it. They actually changed their lives. Not the man you used to be. You're different. You're changed. It may or may not be happening in an instant, but I will guarantee you if God's working, it holds up under scrutiny. Somebody can look at your life and you will be different. I'm afraid that as a church, as churches, and this church in particular is where I am right now, I think we are too satisfied with fleshly hype. We don't long for the real power of God. You want these young people to stay in this church? You want these young people to grow up and have lives that you're proud of, that they're proud of? You want them to grow up and live for God? To be the youth leaders? To be the Sunday school teachers? To be the pastors? Do you want that? But that's not going to happen because you've got a man like myself standing up here, hooping and hollering, doing all that. It's not going to happen because you get singers who come up and do great singing. It's going to happen because there's a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. When God shows up, when God changes those young people's hearts, that's when things happen. You want to see our country turn to God? I think some of you do. You want to see this, this America that you love be a country where we actually honor Christ as we ought to be honored? You know how that happens? It's not by singing patriotic, patriotic anthems. It comes by God doing a demonstration of the Spirit and of power in the hearts of men and women. And He does it one at a time and one at a time until you are surprised that whole areas of this world are worshiping God. That's how that happens. 
You want to see this church be transformed, invigorated, to continue to spread the gospel. You know how that happened? Not because you've got some charismatic leader saying, Oh, do it! Because it's a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. God getting into the hearts and minds of men and women that are actually here. You, you all. <laughs> I'm not looking for somebody else, but I'm at y'all. God working in you and you being transformed and it being a long-term change. Are y'all okay with human manipulation? I, I think the answer would be no. Of course not, Matthew. I don't worry about that. Well, we got to quit acting like we are. We get okay with it really easy. We've got to get to the place where we actually want to see God work. Here's my invitation. Brother Trey, if you don't mind coming, please don't play for just a minute. Until we see, or rather, until we embrace the message of the cross fully as people of the cross and proclaim this message as crucial to transformation as preachers of the cross, we're never going to see God's work. We'll never see it. I want to encourage you, if you want to see God's work, God work, that you will be about this work. Saying, I don't want to accept anything else but the power of God. I don't want to value anything but knowledge of God. I want to proclaim nothing but the truth of God. I want that. You're going to have to follow, follow Jesus in that way. Once I'll stand, I want you to stand. I'm going to ask you, I don't always ask you to do this, but I am going to do this today. Would you mind just take a minute and close your eyes and bow your head. Use that, that, that moment in your own mind just to pray to the Lord. But there might be some here that need to move. You might need to come on and say, listen, Lord, I, I, I want you to do that in me. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that He's doing a work in you. Maybe you're not. Either way, it's fine. You just need to say, Lord, I want that work. I want you to do that. I'm tired of these manipulated sort of uh, this Christian, Christian entertainment. I'm done with that. I want the real thing, Lord. I want you to do something in my heart. You come on and you talk to the Lord about that. You talk to the Lord about that. You want to see God make a real change in you? Thank you asking, Lord, make a real change in me. I'm not going to make a decision. I want you to make a transformation. Thank you, do that. Thank you, come. He's going to pray for just a moment. Lord, please move in the hearts of these men and women. They've heard your message, and I pray, God, that they'll respond begging for you. Give them your fear. Give them your power. We ask in Jesus' name.